Uh, thank you, worship team. Let's pray before we try anything here. Our Father, we thank you for this time we have together to worship, to honor you. Lord, to set our gaze upon you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we invite you right now into our midst, into our, our hearts, to our minds, to saturate them with truth, your truth. Open our eyes that we could really see what you have for us. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us. So that in all things, your praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. We, we sang a little song a couple weeks ago together. This little light of mine. And um, based on this passage, I'm sure. And so I'm going to read Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus speaking to his, actually the multitudes and his followers says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. These past couple weeks, if uh, you follow the NFL, Seems like every time there's someone putting news they're on in such and such games, certain people kneel during the national anthem. Others locked arms. Others weren't sure what they were doing, but they stood. And it was interesting listening to a sports talk radio this week on ESPN. Um, I, I agreed with the announcer when he said he's convinced a lot of those players don't even know why they're kneeling or why they're locking arms. It's pretty foggy. Is it against the president? Is it against America? Is it against racism? What exactly are they trying to communicate? And this, uh, the sportscaster said, I'm confused. I don't know what their message is. It's fuzzy. It's foggy. It's really a challenge for Christians in our world. A, to clarify our message, which we just sung some incredible truth. But we speak it into a foggy culture. I kind of was glad when I walked out with the rain and the kind of the, the yucky, we call it, um, kind of the gray, overcast day. And, and I think we forget that those outside of Christ wake up to this type of day every day. They have no hope. Every day is a gray day. As they get out of bed and, and they go through the uh, the routine of whether it be work or whatever it would be, day in and day out and day in and day out. And they're looking for hope. That's where you and I come in. We offer the hope of the world as the church. But the question on the table is how do we do it? How do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us right here. Now as we go through what's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount and Contained within that are what we call the Beatitudes. Verses 1 through 13 in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us about what kingdom living looks like. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? 
And he says a follower of Jesus will be pure at heart. They're going to be peacemakers. They're going to be those who live according to the kingdom. And as he lays that out, he then gets into verse 14. And he tells you, Christian, who you are. Might not know it as you sit here. But he talks about your identity and my identity. He starts earlier, actually, in verse 13. He says, you are. You're the salt of the earth. Not you might be or could be. You are. That's what you're called to be. But not just salt in verse 14 as we read. You are the light of the world. And so he speaks to our identity. That as salt and light were to flavor, preserve, reflect, illuminate into our culture. Let your light shine. Now we kind of forget about this word is really an imperative when we read the word let. It's kind of a command, basically. Jesus is telling, as my follower, get out there and let your light shine. So we're going to break this down because as we think about this, if this is a command, let your light shine, what must I do then? How do I do that? How do I go about that? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. One, if we're going to shine, we must have a connection to the source of light. There must be a conscious call to be a light, which is not separated from a connection to him who is the light of the world. John 1, just want to read a couple verses out of here. It's a beautiful text that refers to Jesus and his incarnation. It says, in the beginning was the word. We know from verse 14, this is talking about Christ. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And down to verse 9, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus is that true light. Mankind as a whole is in darkness. When Jesus stepped on the earth, he brought light. And he says, I'm the light of the world. And as you and I stay connected to the source of our light, only then can we be a light to a dark world. And those who follow Jesus actually become reflectors of light, his light. And just as the sun is the source of light in our universe, and the moon reflects the light of the sun, so Jesus is the source of light in the world, and we as followers are to reflect that light. Our shine is the reflection of the light of God in our hearts. What do we know about light? Well, it reveals, it enlightens, it guides, it illuminates, and it clarifies. I mean, light is consistently victorious over darkness. And we're told in this passage about a city on a hill. You're the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus underscores the fact that light is unique. It's observable. It penetrates the darkness. And Jesus is telling us here that his followers extend the love of Jesus in tangible ways to those in need around our lives. But we really only do that to the degree we stay plugged in and connected to Jesus, our Savior. And as individuals come to Christ, as we follow him, as we walk in obedience to the Spirit, we shine. We shine because he's the source of light. So any talk of shining outside of a relationship with Christ is futile. 
It's not talk. As we say, it's the walk. As we stay plugged in and we grow in intimacy with Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus calls his followers to be light in their world, he makes it clear that there is a power more compelling than our words. And that's the light of Christ in our lives. It's a challenging call, isn't it? To wake up each day in the fog and murk of our world. And it seems that anything today that I talk about now is argumentative and, 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 I, and, and I could be persecuted for things I say. Whereas 10 years ago, they would be normally accepted. Our world just becomes darker and murkier and muddier and foggier. But you and I have a message. And even more than a message, we have the reality of Christ in our life. It's a calls us to shine. We have a beautiful Savior who shines through his followers. And the only way we can shine and reflect his light is to stay in a vibrant relationship with our Savior. So any talk of shining starts by staying connected to the true source of light. We also need to realize that letting our light shine is an intentional choice. Jesus here doesn't say, hey guys, I got an agenda. Does anybody here volunteer to be salty? He doesn't look around and say, you know what guys, I could use a little help. Does anyone here want to be lighty? Anybody up for that? No, he commands, let your light so shine before men, which requires you and I to make a deliberate choice, will I obey or not? Really simple. Let your light shine. Are you willing to let me use in the middle of a dark world, in the middle of a of confusing times in the middle of persecution, are you willing to say, God use me so I can be a light? Yes or no? It's a deliberate choice we make. Not just once, every single day you get up and I get up. We make a choice. Who are we going to live for? And so you and I are in a dark world. And he calls you and I to be light. One can no more escape having an influence in the world than a city on a hill can be hidden. And so it's not a question of whether our life will be seen, but will, what will our life communicate? What kind of influence will we have? Look at verse 14. You are a light of the world, a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. On a lampstand, it gives light to all. And so it will be seen. Your life will have an influence. What will it communicate? There's an intentional choice to shine in a way that it's seen, it's visible. We are not called to hide our light or put it under a bushel. Now, if you look at the verse, this kind of takes on a little different meaning. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, a bushel, but on the lampstand. Now, back in the day here, um, when you put a light on a lampstand, it was actual flame. It was like a candle. Now, think in terms, if you put a bushel over a candle, what's going to happen? It'll start smoking. Now, let's think this in a little bit more. If we put a bushel over a candle of our life or our testimony, it's not the light that's seen anymore. It's the smoke. You could call it the haze of inconsistency, the smoke of disobedience or compromise. It's no longer the light that's seen. You see, there's consequences when we put a bushel over the lampstand. It's not just hides the light. It makes an undesirable atmosphere. We become unattractive. No one likes hanging around smoke. We sure like a nice fire. And so our life is to be desirable, attractive 
as we live out the call of Christ on our lives. Our life is visible to people. And to hide the light will ultimately create an undesirable, unrecognizable life. And we have a choice how we'll live. We have a choice how we'll position our life so as to be seen. Will we keep it visible? Unfortunately, too many Christians go undercover. They go underground. You can't see them. You don't know where they're at. You don't even know who they are. Because they refuse to let their light shine. And yet that's what we're called to do. So the question, are you allowing the light of Christ to shine through you? Have you responded to that call? Have you positioned your life among those living in darkness so as to shine? You put yourself out there. You said, Christ, use me, even in the midst of this type of world. And sometimes, to me, it's as easy as raising a flag. We had this past week, some students gather around the flagpole, see at the pole, and they prayed together with their hands. I don't know, there's 40, 50 out there. Oh, it's wonderful. Kids walking by, unsaved kids walking by, seeing these students praying. They raised a flag. They said, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's okay if you know it. And you do at the same time at work or kids in school when you get your food, instead of digging in and start throwing it down, you stop, you bow in prayer in front of everybody. And you communicate something. You say, I'm grateful to God for this food. I don't take it for granted. And what do you do? You raise a flag. Those times that you step out of your comfort zone to maybe befriend a hurting person that everyone just seems to be walking by or to help somebody across the street or something that just stands out, you raise a flag. You say, I care about people. I acknowledge my God. As a congregation, even our building campaign, we raise a flag to the community and say, we care about this community, we care about the next generation. We care. We love Jesus. And we're not afraid of that. And so sometimes it's just as easy as raising a flag. It's where it starts. I appreciated our 40 days of prayer, and on Thursday, I got that text with this prayer. You probably, many of you prayed this. Give us pause each day to look at people around us and see them as you see them and to believe the fields are white for harvest. You see, it's an intentional choice you and I have whether we're going to enter into that, whether we're going to choose to be a light and obey that call to go into our world. There's a third thing I think this passage tells us. If you look at verse 16, I have two words underlined, before men. You and I must realize that like it or not, that our life's on display. People watch, and you might not like that. It doesn't matter. People are watching your life. Every believer in here, young and old, your life is on display. Your attitudes, your actions, your speech, your very countenance, they're on display. People see that. They watch it. Maybe they see you raise flags. And there's something about your life that grabs their attention and they continue to watch and you might not even know it. You go through the grocery store. They might see you and say, man, I saw this person here and there was something different about them. They watch you in the grocery store. Your life is on display. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2, verse 12 through 16. Listen to what he writes. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, 
But now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Is anyone uncomfortable right now? Are there any grumblers in the house? You tend, we tend to grumble, don't we? Wow, this isn't going right. Okay, so, but stick with it, okay? Let's work through the conviction here. That you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of, look at this, a crooked and perverse generation. It's like Paul wrote a letter today. Among whom you appear, you see it? As lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run the, ra- the toil, I did not toil in vain. You and I are called to be lights. Our life is on display. Now over the years I've heard people say, you know what, I work in I, I work in a workplace there. There's no Christians in there and it's rough. I mean, their language peels paint off the walls. I mean, the stuff they talk about is horrible. Please pray. I could get another job. This is, if you've been there, and probably all of us have been there, it's what I want you to consider. Have you ever considered that God may have put you in that position? In the midst of that darkness, have you ever considered God needed a light? And chose you. Now that might make that might be uncomfortable. And you're like that's hard. I, I get it. <laughs> um, it is hard. Thank God it's not up to us, and it's His power that works within us. But you might be His light, His chosen light in that environment. There may be no Christians there, but your light is shining and may result in others coming to faith. And so everyone, be assured of this though: people may stop listening, but they never stop watching. They might say, I don't want to hear about that Jesus thing anymore, but you guaranteed they're watching your life. And you know this from experience, from people who've said that to you. And the greater the darkness, the more difference you and I can make as light. It's how you treat people. What's your language like? Is it different? Or do you light up the room just like everybody else with choice words? How about your attitude? Grumpy? I mean, what do you communicate to people? I mean, these all matter. This is what's on display. They all matter. And I want to challenge you and me that we cannot live light-filled lives in our society without standing out. You will. And people may not like you. They might reject you. Oh, but they'll know you're there. And many, I, I hear testimony over and over of people who said they resisted me and, and they knew I was a Christian and they didn't like it, but when their life fell apart, guess who they came to? The Christian, why? Because I watched your life, it was on display, and there was something about your life that communicates stability and hope and compassion. Our life's on display. I find it interesting, in Jesus' time, we're told that the Pharisees did their acts of righteousness to be seen by men. This is interesting. We're called to be light before men, the men will see us, and yet the Pharisees did acts of righteousness to be seen by men. And is that a good thing then? Because we're, we're told to be, what's going on here? I don't think it's that complicated. The Pharisees were known by what they were against. Christians should be known by what they're for. Right? And that's convicting. There's issues in our world we're deeply passionate about. Abortion. We should abhor Babies getting murdered. We should. We're told to 
accept homosexual marriage, transgenders getting shoved down our throat. All these things that we're, we, we're against. We're not supposed to be known for what we're against, but what we're for. Jesus Christ, what does your life communicate? What do people see? And when we live a life like the Pharisaic about what we're against, there's not a lot of joy living that way. You've seen angry Christians. I'm not sure I want to be around some myself. What are you known for? Do people say, that person, there's a lot of things about that person, but I know one thing, they love Jesus. That's evident. That's what we're supposed to be called, to shine for Christ. How are you known, against this issue or that, or are you standing up for Jesus? His love, his death, his resurrection. I unfortunately over the years have seen believers' face and countenance change over time from shining to frowning. And unfortunately, I haven't been the only person to see it. You and I are called to shine with the love and the light of Jesus Christ, who's the hope of the world. I hope you're known by what you're for far more than what you're against. There's some quick apps. Our life's on display, so be careful what you say. I mean, it matters what comes out of your mouth. Gossip, slander, unwholesome communication, those are all things. God says, I don't want that to be a part of your life. Why? Because your life's on display. Watch what you say. Consider your entertainment. This is a tough one. There's all avenues of entertainment. Consider your entertainment. Use social media wisely. People watch what you post. Amen? They watch it. You can be a light through that avenue, or not so much. You can be confusing. Watch what you post. Think of other people, kind of tied in with all of it. Consider other people's needs. Encourage instead of criticize. I mean, there's all little things in which we recognize our life's on display. We don't want to be a stumbling block. We want people to see the love of Jesus Christ. We must realize our life's on display. We also must recognize that our life is to be seen through good works. What will people see? We're told in the text. Good works. Now, don't shy away from this. Scripture's not saying we're saved by good works. Not at all. We're no Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're not saved by good works, but by grace. It's not saying that. What it is pointing to is the fact that because we're saved... Good work should be clearly seen in our life as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And good is not simply as opposed to bad. In other words, I'm not an axe murderer, so I must be a good witness. It's not talking about just not bad. It's talking about good. Maybe another way to look at it would be godly. That's that which reflects God. And it's more than what you do. It's more than what we say. It's who we are. It's doing what Jesus would do. It's following his example. And even a casual reading of the Gospels reminds us that Jesus' good works aroused the curiosity of the multitudes. And they provided, and it provided an opportunity to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. People saw the way Jesus lived and they began to follow because there was something different about his life. It wasn't just the authority, and sure, some followed for the miracles, but even those miracles, when you looked at the healings, they were certainly woven with compassion for the outcast, for the leper, for the blind, the lame, the prostitute. I mean, how do you miss that? I mean, Jesus' heart broke 
for the broken. That's the model you and I have. And the word for good is kalos. It's most often cast goodness in terms of what is excellent and attractive. So when you and I work out good works, it's attractive. People take note of it. It's helpful. It's admirable. It's well done. Think of good. Good is walking down the street, seeing a porn shop, and you quicken your pace, and you look the other way. But it's more than that. It's having a heart of compassion to pray for the people who you just pass by who are walking in darkness. That's good work. Good works isn't just avoiding bad. It's a having a heart of compassion to pray for those and not judge them. And say, God, I realize that those who are kneeling or who are doing this or that, not only do I want to avoid that because I want to please you and be a light and example to them, I pray for them. I love them, God. I pray for their spiritual needs as their life cascades into destruction. This is good works. Good works are seen. I worked in a factory years ago, and so I think it's to my advantage the way God worked in my life and led me into ministry. I got to work in a factory for a while. And back in the day, I'm not sure I looked at it as a great opportunity at times. Um, but I was invited, and I, and I worked hard. I was oversaw a certain area, and so I had young men and women as part of... Um, the group I oversaw and sought really hard to be a testimony to them, and, and I'd put scriptures on the top of my little machine, and so the people who came the other shifts would have to look at my scripture up there, so I taped it really good, and, and, uh, and so I did whatever I could to be a good example to them, and so it came Christmas time, and, and uh, there was a Christmas party, and it was a at a bar and a banquet hall. They're like, come on, Matt, you got to come. Now, I knew I was a Christian, and I don't know if some of them were like, come on. You know, come drink with us. I don't know their motivation, but they were on me. And I remember wrestling like, wow, yeah, I probably shouldn't go there. I shouldn't be there. But finally I'm like, you know, I need to be a witness and let them know Christians have fun. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go. And so I went, and I knew they were going to be hammering. I knew they were going to be putting the drinks down, and I knew there would be other questionable behavior. And so there I sat with my Pepsi trying to just talk about life with these people. And they're like, ah, come on out and dance. I'm like, I'll dance a couple dances. I'll just show. And so I remember leaving that night thinking, you know, I hope that they saw that, hey, Christians can have fun without indulging in all the behaviors people do. But I hope somewhere along the line that I know that I cared enough to do something I really normally wouldn't have done. And, and I don't know. There's other times I haven't done so good. Uh, but that deep conviction of the Holy Spirit of the years has forged into me. A need, I need to position my life that those outside of Christ could see Christ in me. It's one reason I like to coach and do different things in the community. I continually exhort you to be involved in the community because it positions our life where we have a chance to be a light. Now, I've dropped the ball at times. I can think of times playing a street three-on-three -three tournaments where I got done with the game going, Woo, I didn't do so good that game. Um, and so it's not like I've always done well, but the Holy Spirit has continued to forge that conviction in me. You're my light. Go shine. Now, as we see these words, good works, it's interesting that good and works are put together because works is really about rules. It's about behaving, doing what's right. 
We may not do what others at the shop or office do. Those are works. Good works are different. Good works, it's not just about the rules, it's about relationships. Works are about behaving. Good works bless. They don't just behave, they seek to bless. Works are doing what's right. Good is forgiving those who don't. It's a different story. Works are about you may not do what others at the shop or office do, but good works keeps our eyes open for ways to express love to our fellow workers and to our neighbors. There's a reason good and works are put together. It's called shining. It's what people see in your life. Good works light your world with attention-getting behavior that arouse the curiosity of a watching world. You're loving the hurting, you're helping the elderly, you're, you're supporting and loving the downtrodden, you're practically helping needs as God brings you into contact with them. Good works are how we shine. And they lay the groundwork for sharing Jesus, the Savior. And how we act shouts out to our community. How we invest in ministry shouts out to our commitment to our community. That they may see your good works. There's a fifth point we need to realize through all of this. That our works are to bring glory to God. They're not to, they're not to say, look how marvelous I am. Look how much I got it together. That's not the point. It's to point to Christ and say, without Christ, I got nothing, like we sang. I have nothing for you but Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's all I hold out to you. And I do these things for him, and I, I, I love on you because of the love of Christ in me. I come to you with a message of hope because him, he has chosen and saved me and given me hope, and I want to share that with you. This isn't about me. Hope you still have your commitment of your little thing. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's still our message. It started January 1st of this year that we'd focus on. I hope it hasn't ended. Many Christians have thought that being a good Christian is about accepting Jesus, embracing and defending sound doctrine, keeping the rules, and maybe in our best moments, cultivating a relationship with him. And while those are vital, it's not the total package. Authentic Christianity is not just about keeping and protecting the faith or rule-keeping. It's about embracing all these elements and then using them to actively and intentionally engage your world so as to shine. Anything else, anything less than that is the denial of his intention for your life and my life. And in all cases, it will always point back to the source. So how do we be personally, be a light in the future generations? Be a light now where you're placed. Realize you must be connected to the source. Stay close to God through prayer, through scripture, through obedience and walking with him. Stay connected to the source. Realize that letting your light shine is an intentional choice we have every day. To choose whether we're going to walk and shine. It's to realize that like it or not, your life is on display. In your home, for sure. But for those, your neighbors and those you come in contact with. Four, realize that your light is to be seen through your good works. You're not to come to Christ and then close the door and say, I'm good. There should be something in our life, a vibrancy, good works. And then we realize that my works and yours are to bring glory to God. That's our motivation behind it all. Whatever you do, we're told to do it all for the glory of God. It's called shining. It's what we're called to do. It's who we're called to be. 
light. For centuries, God has often chosen the unlikeliest of people to clinch the truth that he's God alone, that he's the God of all gods, and that he stands alone as the one true God. From a stuttering Moses who would be used to demonstrate God's superiority over the gods of Egypt, to Elijah who would shame the prophets of Baal, to the blind, the lame, and the sick, who, touched by Jesus, told the watching world that Jesus was the only true God, and now it's your turn. Touched by Jesus, we are now commissioned to use our life to bless a non-Jesus world, if I may, with the undeniable reality of the power and presence of his love. This is our day. We are to be his light. It's our destiny. It's our privilege. So don't miss the opportunity. It's called shining, and it's our privilege. Let's pray. Lord, uh, deep down, I think we would all have to confess we really have nothing to offer this world but you. You are the only one who can give hope. You're the only one who can release people from addictions. You're the only one who can heal the broken and the hurting. You're the only one who can give hope to the hopeless, who can mend the brokenhearted. And Lord, any talk of shining today or any day is really just allowing you to work in our life, to live through us, to love through us. It's what you call us to. And I pray for each here, those who are in Christ, Lord, that you would cause us each day to wake up and recognize the privilege we have to shine for you, but Lord, also recognize the responsibility. Lord, to cultivate an attitude of gratitude and hope and graciousness. Lord, to have a life that communicates a message of what we're for, not what we're against. That we're for you. We stand for you, the one true God and Savior. Lord, to have a love that splashes over in other people's lives. Lord, what's amazing to me is as we go out in the community and the dreary day to reminds us of what the atmosphere in our world is like. It's not just one person you send out. You send us out as a church who can bring an incredibly and pervading sense of light and hope into our world. And I pray we would. I pray that'd be our focus each day as the day draws near. To live that life that is attractive to a hungry and despairing world. I pray you'd use each of us for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.